warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Listen, when, when it's messy, it's a problem for everyone in the room. Correct. All ten of them. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. <laughs> this is all fuckery. <laughs> fuckery, fuckery, fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... Give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. Hi. It's me. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We're not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, October 22nd in the year 2022. It's 10-22-22 at dnrstudios.com and the DNR cast. I'm the only visiting podcast. If you listen anywhere else, leave us your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Email me. Anything you want at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page. Get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Call the ass hotline, 804-TALK-ASS. You can leave us a voicemail anytime you want. Uh, get vaccinated, boosted, stand with Ukraine, and get out and vote. I'm going to start saying this every week until Election Day. This is, once again, the most important fucking election of our lifetimes. And if you want democracy to continue, if you do not want the United States to become a fascist state, you must... Register to vote. Vote early because you don't know what's going to happen to you on Election Day. You might get COVID. Vote early and vote straight Democratic up and down the ticket. Ticket. Thank you. Our guest today is um, someone very special to me. He is Eric Marcus, uh, renowned author and host of the Making Gay History podcast. Eric was my mentor 25 years ago when I was a Columbia J School grad student. So it's, uh, it's amazing that I get to have him on the show today, and I'm looking forward to speaking with him a little later about gay history. But first, it's time to welcome everyone's favorite gay, everyone's favorite chubby chorizo, everyone's favorite Mexican, Steve Cesaro. Hello, everybody. Say, nice some, say something in Mexican, Steve. Because uh, Mexican is a real language. I'll say something in Spanish. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> I was being intentionally offensive. I know. You know what I love, though? That Tell you me. say my name, which is not Ryan. It is Steve. That is correct. And if you write a review, God damn it, my name is Steve. Steve is also here. Steve is still recovering from <laughs> someone referring to him as not Ryan. <laughs> By the way, oh, welcome, JB. JB is here. Oh, hello. Turn your own mic on, God yeah, damn it. Hot mess. Welcome, JB. Hey. I forgot to mention last week, you guys, that somebody sent me a gift. <laughs> I received a, uh, a, what do you call this, an enema bulb. Uh, here at the DNR studios, and it was addressed to me. There was no card. There was no explanation. I don't know if someone's trying to tell me something. <gasps> did like, you shit on somebody? Maybe I'm dirty. Uh, did you do a little finger painting? I absolutely oh. did not. <laughs> but as I have said so many times on this show, I don't douche. I use soap and water and my fingers, and that's all, and I'm always clean. So I don't know who thinks I need this, Um I am going to take it home because you never know. Maybe I'm on the road someday and I, let's say I'm in a car and I stop off at a gas station and I meet a hot gas station attendant who wants to fuck me and I can clean out right there. But, um, but all yes. you need is two fingers in a shower. Can't you do that? Not in a gas station. Also true, very true. But anyway, it's, <laughs> it's the Prelude Enema Bulb Kit. Uh, I'm not a big uh, enema aficionado, but Steve says it's very pretty. It, it, you know, it looks like a pumpkin. <laughs> like a red pumpkin. It, it is red, pretty. So thank you, whoever sent that. And um, I want one too. Steve is also here, and JB is also here too. <laughs> Steve is also here. <laughs> JB is also here. We want you know where's where are gifts, JB? <laughs> I want a fucking gift. I want to clean my ass out too. I'm poor. <laughs> you are so not poor. You live in a fucking mansion. Don't even start with me. Um, all right, so Halloween is coming, I'm and funny today. most of our listeners are going to hear this episode on October 29th, which means it will already be Halloween weekend, so happy Halloween to all you ghouls and ghosts. God. And I thought we'd kick off this hour, because I saw this uh, article on BuzzFeed, um, the headline was, I beg you, do not wear any of these Halloween costumes this year. So before we get into the list, I thought I would ask, how do you guys feel in general about edgy, offensive Halloween costumes? Are you pro or anti? Sort of hopping off the last uh, episode that we that we just did. I, With Kevin Goatee. I, do, I like listen, er, not listening. 
I like a little bit of edge. I don't like to hurt anyone's feelings. I want to be very clear. I don't like hurting anyone or offending somebody. It's something that's like really triggering. But I think if you're on that line, it could be really funny. I don't know. I like that kind of humor, but I know. So let me give you a specific example that I... Oh, sorry, JB, you were about to speak. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it varies on like how cringe it is. Like, and also depending on who's doing it. Like, are mm. you making fun of yourself? Or are you making fun of other groups? Like, if right. you making fun of yourself, different story. But then also, keep it respectable. Because I know mm. you make fun of yourself, but you are a representation of other people. What if you're not Catholic, but you dress up as a nun? Like a sexy, dirty nun? See, that, that's fine. I, I Or like, any kind of nun. Yeah. You, you're, not, you're not showing any disrespect towards... The Christians, but, I mean, but maybe Catholic people would feel would disrespected. Uh, yeah. Well, then they could bend me over and spank me until until spread, I see the Lord. Spread those cakes. Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll give you a real life example. So, uh, when I was living in Atlanta in 1992, before either of you were born, I was born in '85. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you guys remember, there, uh, you, you really would have been quite young, but there was a tennis player, a very famous tennis player at the time named Monica Sellis, and at one of her matches, a crazed fan stabbed her. She was okay, she wasn't seriously hurt, but that week, that Halloween, I was living in Atlanta, and some queen I saw at the club wearing like a women's tennis outfit, like a little tennis skirt, with a knife sticking out of his back with blood coming out of it. And I thought it was hilarious. It's a really good Halloween costume. But looking back now, it's like, that's so fucked up. It's like, so someone funny, stabbed though. her. But I would love it. So you're okay with that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yo, it's, it is too funny, but like, I feel like if it was a generic stabbing. Sure. Like, yeah. you, like if it, I think the fun part part of the joke is because it's funny because we remember her being stabbed. But I like, know. I thought it's it was so some funny. taking something topical. The fact that it was a gay guy in drag is just funny. Like a, yeah. a, a gay gay guy dressing up as a female tennis player that alone is funny to me. And then when you add the the knife <laughs> sticking in the back. Which is topical and also Halloweeny. It's ghoulish. Like to me, it was sort of a perfect thing. But I could also see where someone would be like, "What is wrong with you? Did she die? No, she well, was fine." Well, then it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the point. She yeah. didn't die. She's okay. She's, She's fine. living. It's funny. Well, here's and you what you could go real ham in it. You could decorate the knife like glittery blood. It's, yeah, it's great. Well, here's the list. Uh, Buzzfeed begs you do not wear any of these Halloween costumes this year. And as usual, Buzzfeed doesn't write paragraphs. They don't explain why these are mm-hmm. bad. They just list them. So we can discuss the ones we want to. But the first one is: please do not go as Queen Elizabeth. No matter how you feel about her, it's too soon. And especially do not go as dead zombie Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> I would love to go as dead zombie. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's insane. Yeah. I would do it. Also, she was 90. Who gives a fuck? 96. Yeah. She was ready for the grave. The Lord didn't take her yet. Wow. <laughs> it's really dark, Jamie. Uh, don't go as COVID. Just don't. I don't think I should have to say this. I would go as COVID. You know, it was a big costume last year and in 2020. It was. I don't think there's anything wrong with going as COVID. Oh, my God. I just remembered something. Okay. So this is about monkeypox because monkeypox, I know it started as a sexual thing, but the original origin of monkeypox was through bushmeat. Uh, yes. That was when people would eat illegal bushmeat and the skin stuff. I was like, that's interesting. It came from, it evolved from bushmeat to a sexual. That's where AIDS came from, too. Yeah. I was like, hmm. People were science. eating monkey meat. In Africa, and that's how HIV transferred from being a simian disease to a human disease. Same thing with monkeypox, although yeah. monkeypox didn't originate in monkeys. It originated yeah. in rodents. Yeah, mm. in the bushmeat, because bushmeat is just uh, pretty much rodent, anything illegal meat cooked. Not bushmeat just makes right. me think about penis. I kind of want to go as bushmeat now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think COVID is fine. I think yeah. we part of Halloween is to laugh at the things that scare us. Yes. COVID is scary, and I think it's okay to laugh at it. Next on the list is don't go as the COVID vaccine either. <laughs> also, Can I go as a Republican with the COVID vaccine? Like, well, that's the next one. Yeah. Um, don't go as an anti-vaxxer. Look, I get the urge. They are scary. But maybe don't joke about things that have caused death. Well, that's what Halloween, that's Halloween is. death. Halloween is literally the, celebrating the dead. Yo, some 21-something-year-old wrote this article and <laughs> was too, too bitch mode, sir. Because this is just Shade. weak shit. Yeah. This is all just weak sauce. 
I forgot to write down the author's name, but I think it's a woman. Um, please do not go as anything related to monkeypox either. I'm going as Bushmeat now. <laughs> or as any kind of plague doctor. You know those like medieval uh, turn of the century plague mm-hmm. doctors with the big sort of bird-like masks? Yeah. She says we can't go. Is that? Fuck her. Those are making big comebacks. Is this a, a Christian white games. woman named Karen? Probably. Okay, Steve, <laughs> this next one is dedicated to you. Okay. This goes for all years, but I have to mention it because somehow it's still happening. Don't go as a race. Like, please don't go as a racist caricature of a Mexican person. And then there's, they actually had a photograph of, like, a white person in, like, a sombrero with one of the blankets over their shoulders. Listen, there was a theme party when I was in Mexico, and I was with my friends, and it was, it, it was the white party. So we all went dressed as a... Um, like, oh, we had these tiny little sombreros and then this these tiny little poncho that we wore. And they were like, wait, you're the only Mexican and we're all white people in Mexico dressing up exactly. as Mexicans. And I'm like, this is hysterical and we should do it. I love, I, for me personally, I shouldn't say it's, it's good for everybody. But if you can't laugh at who you are and what you are and what your culture is, then why not? I mean, it's not a Yes, but you're laughing at yourself. Yeah. It's different when white people are laughing at you and, and, you know, going as you for Halloween. That's pretty fucked up. As my mother said, let them laugh because in the end, I will get my last laugh. <laughs> um, also, do not under any circumstances wear a Native American headdress. Okay, I could see that. Now, I think there's an there's a, uh, asterisk to this one. Because one year I dressed up as the Lone Ranger and Lady was Tonto, the Lone Ranger's Native American sidekick. And so I put a feather on Lady. And I put a picture of us on Facebook and people freaked out at me and said that I was um, appropriating Native culture and doing it on a dog, which is even more offensive. But she was not. Play- she wasn't just a generic Native American. She was a specific character. character. Yeah, this, this is what people are doing too fucking much. <laughs> like it's a costume so we made fun of yes don't go as another race don't be racist it's not fucking hard but do yeah. have fun because that's the point of Halloween is to have fucking fun well I certainly wouldn't have any kind of feathers at this point um, uh, this is st- in the yeah. same category this should go without saying but stay away from going as a character outside of your race and if you do, do not try to change your skin color with makeup. Oh, yeah. So in other words, like a white woman should not go as Diana Ross as Countess Luann did on The Real Housewives. <laughs> and she did darken her skin for oh, that costume. Oh, no. See, that's my, my favorite example of this is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this anime show called Bob's Burgers. I've heard of it. Yeah. The kids, they're all white kids. But Gene keeps doing like he, black people themed Halloween costumes. But he's not his face he does like Andre the Giant 3000 stuff like that and I was like that's really cute like that right there that's what you should do it's all in the interpretation I I think it's in the way you interpret the the idea Um, I don't really know what this is about maybe you guys do she writes after all that's come out about Playboy this year I'd stay away from going as a Playboy bunny especially if you're doing a group costume as Holly Bridget and Kendra was there some me Too scandal know. with the Playboy bunnies? I think there was with that guy who died. Hugh Hefner? Yeah. Mm. But, I, again, it's straight people stuff. I don't pay attention. I don't know any woman who would go as a Playboy bunny in 2022. That seems like a very, like, sort of 1970s costume. It's a throwback. I'll do it for a throwback party. However, if a gay man did it, hilarious. <laughs> um, please don't go as anything related to the Will Smith Oscars slap. <laughs> How would you even do that? Just the slap? Just dress up in tuxedos and have yeah. one person slapping the other as yeah. you walk down the street? That's Pretty not much. much of a costume. Do not, I repeat, do not go as Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Again, how do you do that? Well, Johnny Depp... Shit on a bed. Depp a bed next to you. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. Go as Johnny Depp with a mattress behind you with a like, brown spot on it. That is kind of funny. Why can't you do that? I would. That's hilarious. Do not go as anything related to Roe versus Wade or abortion. I have to agree with that one. I don't know. Well, hold on. First of all, no. But also, I could see some drag queen being very creative and creating a, like an abortion costume, which could be really funny. As a giant fetus? <laughs> like a giant. <laughs> oh. Yeah. See, that, I, that to me falls into the category of bad taste um, and taste. like hurtful. Like okay. for anyone who's had an abortion – you don't want to see a fucking giant fetus walking around on Halloween. I don't know. It, it depends if you're saying something correct. 
Like if it's no, it's for, it's purely for the hold comedy. on. Okay, so if you're doing it for the for, for the fun of it, then yeah. sure, no. But if you're like standing up, like, hey, this affects me. I need I need you to understand this affects me. This bothers me, and you want to say something mm-hmm. about this different story. I think anytime you anthropomorphize a fetus, it's a problem. I just watched that Marilyn Monroe movie, Mar- uh, Blonde, mm. about Marilyn Monroe. And she has like three or four pregnancies in the movie. And every time she's pregnant, the fetus talks to her and you can hear the fetus's voice. And I found it very disturbing. And so do, did a lot of pro-choice activists who criticized the movie. A fetus is not a person. It can't talk. Uh, it really kind of clouds the abortion debate when we start turning them into like little characters. Um, in a similar vein, do not wear a Handmaid's Tale costume. This hits a little too close to home right now. Again, I think it's fine to wear a Handmaid's Tale costume to a protest, mm-hmm. but not like a Halloween parade or a Halloween party. Yeah. Um, stay away from politicians like Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell, even if you're making fun of them. I disagree. I would do it. I disagree. I think there's a yeah. long tradition in this country of dressing up like the president on Halloween. I have no problem with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, she says, and... I do not, under any circumstances, want to see Donald Trump this year. Um, baby Donald Trump. Baby Donald Trump? Do you remember baby Donald Trump in England? People were dressing <laughs> up as baby Donald Trump. No. Or Putin, for that matter. Putin. Um, I say if you've been through it, you can make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, in other words, Ukrainian war victims can dress as Putin for Halloween? Yes. <laughs> you heard it here like, first. I, Ukrainian war victims, if you're listening. This list got very heavy. JP We're says, I know, debates, I know. Emotional debates. Uh, Listeners, you may dress as a Mexican in my name. I will allow you. What if, what if I put on a costume with orange hair and tiny hair? You told me I can't do that. What, uh, you should funny? do that. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I think if you're satirizing uh, Trump or another politician that you hate and you're doing it in a funny way, I, I, I don't have a problem with it at little all. Little Barbie hands. I'm going to get those little tiny hands. <laughs> <to the face. laughs> Um, stay away from dressing like police. Well, that's illegal, number one. What yeah, but a, plenty of people do it. What about a sexy policeman? I've done that. See? But they're saying no because of, I guess, Black Lives Matter. And also it says definitely stay away from SWAT team costumes. I do think mm-hmm. it's a problem for law enforcement when you dress like law enforcement for Halloween. Because if shit goes down, they don't know who's real and who's not, you know? Given the times, not like the the wokeness, but given like that. The security issues, yeah. yeah maybe I agree. that would be. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, think about school shootings. If yeah. you have like a Halloween parade in your school and someone's uh, dressed like, uh, there's a senior yeah. who's dressed like a police officer who's actually a shooter, like, God forbid. Um, definitely don't go as anything with the word slave in the name. This includes off brand I Dream of Genie costumes. And there's a picture of like, sort of a harem girl costume that says slave girl on it, like, don't do it. Um, don't go as any kind of sexualized children's costume. Well, no. Like a sexy minion. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, the, people make anything sexy on Halloween, particularly so like gay guys and straight women. John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> uh, no. No. <laughs> but, like, t- don't take a child's character and sex it up. Um, and weird. finally, and this goes in the same uh, category, can we finally retire the sexy schoolgirl outfit? Like, please. I think I agree with that. But what if you're a gay in a sexy schoolgirl outfit? With the knee Again, highs. like, everything we do is different because it's, it's satire and it's tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I understand what they're saying. Like, yeah. we can't sexualize children. I like to just wear it at least one time. Just so I can feel pretty. Sexy schoolgirl? Yeah. Do it, JB. I want to see you as a sexy By the way, did you go to Comic-Con? No, I did not. How come? Uh, lack of funds. Oh. Yeah. I wish you had said something. We could have done a GoFundMe for Send <laughs> JB to Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. That's it's your okay. Christmas. No, it's okay. Because uh, it's like, every, um, I don't go every year. Because, again, funds. It's always the time of year and stuff like that, depending what happens. But, oh yeah, when I do go, it's always a nice treat for me. So I got stuck walking through the Comic Con crowds. I was uh, heading to friends who lives on so 30th packed. and 11th. It was crazy. It was I was so like, packed this year. "Get the fuck out of my way!" But I did see some hot straight guys in yes. like really sexy costumes. Yes. I saw cowboys. I saw superheroes. I was like, "Hmm." You know what's hmm. so funny about Comic Con is that's where like my sense of humor and playfulness dies. Like I don't get it. What I know. 
It's not my thing either. You know, I think you're either you're either into that or you're not. JB clearly is. I'm not. You're not. I don't not. find anything wrong with it, but I'm like no. I'm like you're uh, like not you're an adult, but like. <laughs> Like, I like, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna kill you. It's like how you bitches like to dress up as faggot shit for Halloween, but only do it for one day. How we, however, we do it all the time. Yes. So you know what? <laughs> Fuck you guys. No, I think it's great for people who are into it. Yes. We're just not into it. I support you. I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather go to BravoCon, frankly, and meet all the real housewives. <laughs> they were all the Atlanta housewives were at the uh, opening of piano lesson, and they have some big old titties. Oh yeah, they were all out like tig old bitties. Tig old oh, bitties. Speaking of bad jokes about school, because you reminded me of school. Anyway, one of my friends told me the joke. He's like, "Hey, are you a school?" I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "I will shoot some kid inside you." I'm like, "Oh, <gasps> oh my oh. god, JB, we're gonna have to delete that. That is so offensive." <laughs> Yo, it caught me so off guard. I was like, "Was he actually flirting you? Flirting yeah, with you?" It was just throwing jokes around. <laughs> that is like, the worst thing I've ever heard. Where did you hear this from? Ugh. All right. Well, let's move on. Oh, uh, speaking of horrible people and horrible things, <laughs> Todrick Hall is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. I hate doing stories about Todrick Hall, but I feel like it's a public service because he's such a vile human being and so wildly popular that he needs to be shamed. So this time, Todrick Hall is picking a fight with some random girl on TikTok named... It's Abigail Adams. That's the name of her TikTok account. And she's like a reality TV podcaster. There are tons of them these days. When she gets on camera and she says her opinions. And she started talking about how no one from the Big Brother house should hang out with Todrick because he was such a dick to them when he was on Mm -hmm. the show. So Todrick made a video that starts with her video and then has his reaction. Take a listen to some of this would stop hanging out with Todrick after their seasons because he is not a nice person. I really wish that people who have never met me would just stop talking shit about me on the internet. Like, the audacity that you would feel comfortable enough to post a video about a perfect stranger publicly to anybody who could see it to declare that this person that you've never met or breathe the same air as is not a nice person, which is a pretty ballsy statement, might I add, Miss Abigail, to increase your likes, your followers, your popularity, and to start a witch hunt against this person who is a human being and who has family and friends who see this fucking bullshit that you post would, in some people's opinions, make you not a very nice person, Miss Thing. He goes on and on and on. At one point, he says, like, I have yet to unleash my fans on you, but I will. This is someone who has, like, she's got, like, 16,000 followers. He's got, like, millions. Why? Why are you picking fights with people, first of all, when you're a celebrity? Second of all, we do know who you are. You've shown us who you are over and over again. If you don't want people talking shit about you on the Internet... Don't be a celebrity, and especially don't be a celebrity who goes on Big Brother. You know what's funny? Even when he was on, what was the first one? Was it American Idol or was it Dancing with the American Stars? Idol. When he was on American Idol, he was hated from the moment there, too. Not to give him any grace, but I, I do like his music. But um, yeah, He's talented. But it feels like, that's, like he's just a cunty person. No, I shouldn't say that. He's just a horrible person. Like, his, oh, yes, I can. I can say he's kind of a cunty person because he was hated on that show, and he's just hated everywhere he goes. He, everyone who knows him and has had personal dealings with him says he's a terrible person. Now, maybe he's really a great person. Let's say for the sake of argument that he's a lovely person and he's just been terribly misunderstood. It doesn't matter. When you're famous, there are going to be haters. That yes. is the nature of fame. You cannot make the money and have the fame and the popularity and the recognition without, without also having the haters. Fucking deal with it. Yeah. Stop coming for them and stop trying to prove to everyone that you're not a terrible person because that just makes you seem like more of a terrible person. Um, anyway, you can listen to the whole rant. He goes on and on with it, but he just comes off as so awful. And I don't, it bothers me that people, that his fans love him for this. Like, I hate when people get rewarded for bad mm. behavior. However, I do love when celebrities shade one another. <laughs> now, we haven't yet talked about the fact that Leah Michelle uh, officially opened as Fanny Bryce on Broadway as the replacement for Beanie Feldstein. And after great speculation as to how she was going to do, the reviews have been universally positive. Yes. I mean, just praising her to the skies, saying that she makes the show. Yep. 
that she's the perfect Fanny Bryce, that her voice is incredible, that she does things with the part that Beanie simply couldn't do. Even people that hate her are saying she's great. Have you seen mm-hmm. it yet, Steve? No, but it's my husband's office, so I'm like dying to see it. Steve and I are, um, I mean, Steve and I, Scott and I have tickets next week, so I'm very <gasps> excited. But Leah Michelle is really hated by her former Glee castmates. I like still, all of them. I will still defend Speaking her. Speaking of saying, someone who was hated everywhere they go. Yeah. <laughs> I will go a standby sort of what I call the Patty LuPone theory where like Patty has people that hate her specifically because she d- works really hard and she gets angry at the people that don't work as hard as she But does. she's also a giant pain in the ass, Steve. Patty or, or? Patty. If you read Patty's memoir, every fucking story in there is about someone who wronged Patty. And Patty's always the victim. It's like, come on, girl. If you have a problem with everyone you've ever worked with, it's you. I mean, let's it take you. Me, it you. Well, for, well, when I worked with Patty, Patty and I got along. Actually, I started the party the other day. Um, and um, let's, take, let's take Ryan, for example, in his experience. He got shaded by Leah Michelle because he late. <laughs> he was very late. Ryan Frosty? Yeah. You didn't, when we did the Old Navy spot. He, uh, we were rehearsing with Leia. Oh, I forgot about this. It's Leah, not Leia. Uh, Leah. She's not Princess Leia. We were rehearsing with Leah, and Ryan just like strolls in, and he just, she just like looks at him, and he goes, "He was, she was so rude to me." I'm like, "Bitch, you were an hour late. We couldn't start <laughs> rehearsal because you were not there." Of course, she's pissed. But she has to have been famously <laughs> terrible on the ca- on the set of Glee because the only yes. person that ever defends her is Jonathan Groff, and he wasn't a series regular. Anyway, the reason I brought this up is because. Her former castmate, Chris Colfer, who played um, Kurt, yep. the gay student on Glee, he was on the Michelle Collins show. And Michelle Collins asked him if while he was in New York, he was going to go see Funny Girl. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you hear the clip. But first, I want to point out, Michelle Collins sounds like a man. I thought this was two gay guys talking to each other, but the, one of them is a woman. So anyway, play it. By the way, Chrissy, guess what I'm doing tonight? Oh, my God, you should come if you're here. I know. Are you seeing Funny Girl? I am. Oh, uh... My my day suddenly just got so full. Wait, no. Wow. Chris, no. Oh, my God. You know I love you so much. Stop. Well, you know what I do with Funny Girl? Because I saw it with Beanie. So I feel like it's only right that I see it with Leah. Right. Well, I saw saw six last night. um, And that was amazing. So you're not seeing it is my guess while you're in town. No, I could be triggered at home. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is some shade. I've heard it before, but hearing it again, I don't know. It just puts a smile on my face. I, I do like it when people are shady towards each other. It makes me laugh. I mean, but what's funny is uh, when I posted that on the Adam Sank Show Facebook page, someone pointed out, they're like, but which one is cashing checks and which one is throwing shade? Bloop. I mean, Chris hasn't it's true. What, what is Chris Call for doing? Yeah. I don't know, sis, but she's paying her bills, paying her rent somehow. Listen, she's doing something. Like, I know, I know what I know what you just said, but again, she's doing something. We haven't heard anything bad, nor we haven't heard anything good. So she's living her life about Chris Colfer. Yeah, like isn't that what you want in fame? You just want to live your life peacefully. And totally. Yeah. So, in, but in the, my book, she's winning. But the point is, like, it's hard to argue with Leah's talent and her success. Oh, yeah. um, but certainly, as I said, she must have been really, really terrible to everybody on that show. Just what? A lot of people must. Don't, don't worry about it. I accidentally clicked something and started playing. Because for this many years later, for there to be this much anger and, and hatred toward her. Yeah, because that was long. That was 12. No. Yeah, 12 years ago. I mean, but weren't they just like, like starting out their careers? Like that was their first jobs. And no. like, most of them were in um, Spring Awakening is where the casting came from. Oh. Um, Leah being one of the stars of Spring Awakening, which was 2006. Who else besides Jonathan Groff and her? Leah Michelle, um, the Asian girl was in it. I can't think of her name. Okay. Um, I believe Santana was also in it. Naya Rivera? Naya Rivera. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Really? Uh huh. It was huh. so many of So they Spring knew Awakening. her then going back to her teenage oh, yeah. years. They've all known each other forever. But Interesting. Even from then, they were still complaining about her. So. I'll never get over the fact that three of the stars of Glee are now dead. That, it's like and died crash. young. And died tragically. Tragically. Corey Monteith, who was her real-life boyfriend, he yeah. played Quinn, he died of a heroin overdose. Yep. Then Mark Soling, who played Puck, was himself. convicted of child pornography and, yeah. hu- and, and killed himself before sentencing. And then Naya Rivera drowned. drowned. I mean, what the fuck? 
Talk about a cursed show. Um, they blamed means... they blamed it on Leah. They did because yes, career, it did a lot of yes, because her career started skyrocketing after they died. It, okay, so this is a rumor that we black people like to start about celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the it's the rule of three in order to become famous. You have to have three three family members. Of your, of your family dies, you can become famous, or people that you know. She was already famous. Come on. <laughs> but, and Naya Rivera died so many years after the show was on the air. Michelle wasn't done. But it doesn't well, work. Well, she is. It doesn't work one Michelle. time. You have to keep refreshing it all the time. I'll tell you something funny. One of the rumors about her, and I'm sure it's not true, is that she can't read. Oh, yeah. Because she, <laughs> she grew up on the stage that she's illiterate. She never went to school. So, um... Scott is in a bowling league, yeah. and there's like 20 teams in there, or more, like 40 teams in the bowling league, and I was looking at the list of names, and one of the teams is called Leah Michelle's Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a good Halloween costume. And apparently in fu- <laughs> Leah Michelle with a book, <laughs> apparently in Funny Girl, uh, her character has a line where she says, like, I'm not one for books or something mm-hmm. like that, and every time she says it, the crowd laughs. Um, All right, so moving on to someone who's worse than Leah Michelle, as far as I'm concerned. I think this is arguably true. Marjorie Taylor Greene filed for divorce since we were last on the air from her husband of, I think it's 27 years, Perry Greene. And there's all kinds of rumors about why they got divorced, particularly why they announced it like a month before the election. Mm -hmm. Not that she's in danger of being... Uh, voted out of office. She's in a very highly Republican, Trump-loving, backward-ass, piece-of-shit district in Georgia. But, like, if you're going to announce you're getting divorced, like, don't do it a month before an election. And her husband did. And the rumor is that one of them had an affair with the gym manager at the gym they both go to. And some people think it's him. They think the dude, Perry Green, had an affair with another dude which would just be poetic justice to such a homophobic bitch like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Anyway, there's nothing wrong with getting divorced. There's no shame in that. But again, she's such a fucking hypocrite because she's constantly talking about the sanctity of marriage. And at a fundraiser just like a week ago, she told fundraisers that ending marriage equality uh, through the Supreme Court it's something that's going to happen, and she's cheering that. She says, I think we have a better chance on the Supreme Court uh, than we had with the Dobbs case, which overturned Roe versus Wade. I think we have a better chance there with the balance on the Supreme Court than we do in Congress. Now, we know the Bible tells us marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. That's what marriage is. And she gets loud applause from her asshole supporters. This is someone who just got divorced. Listen. She deserves her privacy. They should what? really keep her name. She deserves <laughs> hell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, wasn't that one of the things she said? Shut she, up, she, was like, yes. she asked for privacy yeah, we like, when the divorce was announced. Um, Republicans like Green want to overturn uh, Obergefell and end marriage equality in the U.S. Um, we've talked about how the Senate, the House has already passed a bill that would protect mm-hmm. marriage equality. The Senate has not yet voted on it because Chuck Schumer wants to wait till after the election. He thinks he can get more Republican support that way. I certainly hope he's right. Um, But she's been one of the most vocally anti-LGBTQ members of Congress. And she's just such a terrible person. It'd be great if there was a big surprise and she were voted out. But Can I just say it's going to happen. Yes, we're we're more critical on our celebrities than we are on our politicians. One hundred percent. I wish it was the other way. Like I, I shouldn't know what my celebrity had for breakfast. I should know what my politician is doing early in the fucking morning at seven o'clock. Who are you talking to? What's going on? Like, tell me. You tell are me so things. right, JB. I, it just blows my. I'm like, like the dreams of I want to be famous, but I want to keep my personal life to myself can't happen because shit like this. And it just doesn't make sense. Like people who need to be scrutinized aren't scrutinized. I'm just like... Look, you know I love pop culture and we talk a lot of... We talk yeah. about a lot of stupid shit on this show because yeah. this show is meant to, to be an entertaining break from the dim reality that is our world. Correct. But when I look on my Twitter feed and I see that most of the people I follow are rage tweeting about Lisa Rinna from The Real Housewives <laughs> of Beverly Hills and not about Trump, Trump stole classified secrets from the White House and took them to his country club and kept them in some unsecured fucking basement where he had people coming in and out all the time. That is what should infuriate you. Trump refused to concede, made up 
a, a false narrative about the election being stolen and staged a coup. Yep. That should be where your anger and rage is directed. Not that Lisa Rinna isn't a terrible person. She is. But she's a reality star and a soap opera actress. What she does or does not do that has no impact on American democracy. Correct. So you're so right. And I keep, like, hoping that people will just wake the fuck up. But I feel like that's, that, in a way, politicians now know that we care more about pop culture and social media and entertainment, and we're going to get way more upset about Kanye West wearing a White Lives Matter shirt yeah. than we are about black people getting gunned Someone down in the streets by cops. That. Like, one of my Discord friends is like, oh, what do you think about the Kanye thing? I'm like, what Kanye thing? I don't follow Kanye. I stopped following Kanye years ago after you said that crazy shit. What, what's the point of following Kanye? It's going to be more crazy. And he told me the crazy shit. I'm like, so what's him? Right. What does it mean? That nothing's mean to what this here talking about. Okay, what about people dying? People being murdered? Where's like, our guest? That? Oh, it's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm going to go nervous. look outside, just in case they got confused. I'm just going to text him. Uh, here, Steve, sing a little song um, in the meantime. It's 7 o'clock in the truck stop cruising the street. That's what I know about my 7 o'clock. That's for you, JB. <laughs> One of the other things that happened since um, the last time that we were on the air, well, actually, this happened a couple weeks ago, but uh, was the Folsom Street Fair. <gasps> or Street Festival in San Francisco. Have you ever attended Folsom? I haven't, but I would like to go. Me too. We should go. Well, a state senator in California is being attacked. Uh, his name is Scott Weiner, and that's not why he's being attacked. Although he's I have Scott to say, Wiener. if your last uh, name... <laughs> why is that funny? Because he's Scott Weiner. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. If your last name is Weiner, or Fink, or Gross, or Butt, like, change your last name. But anyway... Um, he's being slammed because he attended Folsom, he's gay, and he posted a picture on Twitter of himself with a bunch of other guys at Folsom. Now, none of them were naked yeah. or doing anything untoward, but they were. some of them were wearing harnesses and other, like, sexy gear. And so uh, because there were all these other things trending about Folsom on Twitter that showed, like, blowjobs happening in the street and flogging and all the shit that goes on there, um, he got slammed by a mixed martial artist named Jake Shields, who tweeted, the same politician who kept your kid out of school for two years because COVID, because of COVID is attending gay orgies during monkeypox. Feel free to Google Folsom Street Fair and see the wonderful delights that he's enjoying. Okay. Now, Folsom is not a gay orgy. There is some orgying that may happen there, but he was not engaging in any of that. All he did was pose for a picture um, he responded by saying, um, I think I'm on the wrong page here. Uh, <laughs> how did I, what happened to the rest of this? All right. Well, anyway, he basically defended himself and said he's a gay man and he's not going to be shamed for it. And I say, if you're in California, support Wiener in any way that you can. And Wiener, as far as I'm concerned, is perfectly allowed to attend Folsom. Um, I want to skip to this airplane story, the bizarre noises story, JB, and then we'll go to our um, guest. Passengers aboard a Dallas-bound American Airlines flight earlier this month reported bizarre noises coming from the plane's PA system. The first thing you're going to hear is the flight attendant, but then listen closely to these noises. Gentlemen, we realize there is an extremely irritating sound coming over the public announcements. The flight deck is trying to troubleshoot, trying to turn it off. For the entire flight, they kept hearing, <laughs> and no one knew, knows where it came from. I like the gate. Who is having a puke game? So that's Emerson Collins. He's a, a, a personality, a gay personality, Very who posted funny. this. Uh, find him online and watch the whole video. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. But they don't know how this happened. Those PA systems are not Wi-Fi 
attached. There's no way you can hack into it. And they couldn't find anyone on the plane who was doing this, but someone had hijacked the PA system. And this has happened on other flights. Yeah, I heard. And it's always like moaning or something. People going, ah. Yeah. Anyway. That's that's a little, okay, that freaks me out, which is why I don't think I could do planes. Because, okay, it could be... That's technically hacking. It's like a Twilight Zone shit. All right, time for our guest segment, and I'm so excited to have him here. Our guest today is a journalist, author, and podcast host whose oral history of LGBTQ people, places, and events have been turned into an archive, a book, a stage play, and now an acclaimed podcast called Making Gay History, LGBTQ Oral Histories from the Archive. Season 11 of the podcast begins October 27th. Here's a taste of the show from last season, from an episode featuring the late journalist Randy Schiltz. Harvey Milk, 19, February 1977, for a story about Harvey Milk and the District 5 race. I knew one thing about Harvey Milk, that he was just this great story. He was just going to be the best story. And, uh, because he's a char- he was a character. He was a character, and he was going to win. And it was so, uh, and he was, but also, he articulated a vision. He was an idealist. He was a visionary in the true sense of the word. And then the Castro Street was so fucking exciting. I mean, it was just so exciting to be gay and be on Castro Street. It was Why? just neat. Because it was, we were going to create a new world. The new world, the new way of being gay was coming from Castro Street. So What was the new way to be gay? The new way of being open about being gay, of not having to be uh, hiding, of being powerful, asserting your power. Uh, when people, when gangs came in to beat us up, you know, we organized our own street patrols. And, uh, you know, that kind of responding, not being the sissies anymore. It was so different. And being butch and being, you know, the whole thing of totally recasting what being gay men in America. And please give a warm-ass welcome to Eric Marcus. <laughs> the studio audience loves you. Uh, I love the studio audience back. They're great. Eric, before we get into gay history, yes. we need to talk about our history. It goes back just a few years. You were my mentor 25 years ago when I was a student at Columbia J School, and I don't think either of us looks any older. I completely agree, but I left my glasses at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, because I, don't, I really don't think of either of us as particularly old now. But we you were already accomplished. You had already published several novels by then. Or not novels. Non-fiction books. Non-fiction yeah. books. 25 years ago, I was younger. But I will be, in a month, I'll be 64. Unbelievable. Uh, but that's a year away from, from Medicare, which is great. Yeah. Because my monthly health insurance costs will go down by more than half. God bless. Yeah. And look at how much you've accomplished in the past 25 years, and I'm doing this ridiculous podcast. Um, you are. You must be so ashamed. You are on the air. I'm, not, I'm actually delighted to be on your show. <laughs> Thank um, you. And you don't look a minute over, older than you did then, but the, I, I do see a little bit of gray in your I know. Mind. I haven't colored my beard lately. Yeah. You've got to get on that. Tell us about the archive that became the podcast. You started this in the late 80s. I was. This wasn't my idea. <coughs> Um, I was commissioned to write an oral history of what was then called the gay and lesbian civil rights movement. Get your face just a little closer to the mic. Yes. There Please. I am. How's that? Um, so I was commissioned to write an oral history book of what was called the gay and lesbian civil rights movement um, by an editor named Rick Cott. At the time I was working at CBS News, I was a segment producer, and I was working on a lot of AIDS stories and other stories. Um, it was about the same time that I found out that CBS would never put an openly gay person on camera, which is what I wanted to do. Um, And I found that out because I asked for a meeting with a senior executive who handled what was called talent and essentially forced her to answer the question, would you put an openly gay person on camera? And I'd already published my first book, The Male Couple's Guide. No going back in the closet after that. In fact, I came into work one morning um, in February of 88. Yeah, it was February of 88, and there was a copy of my book on every single desk at CBS News. Wow. My publisher had, had sent it out without me knowing. So <laughs> anyway, she said there's no, there no way they put an open gay person on camera. So it was around the time I got offered this book project. But I must have thought, so I said yes to it, even though I knew nothing about the movement. Um, I'm not an academic. I'm a journalist like you. Um, we're both J school yes. graduates, uh, Columbia Journalism. And... Um, when I accepted the project, I thought that someday someone might want to use some of these interviews. So I asked my boss at CBS, who had created Morning Edition and Weekend Edition for NPR, what do your colleagues use to record interviews? And he put me in touch with one of his colleagues, and I bought um, a Sony tape deck and two lavalier mics, and or actually lapel mics, whatever they're called. Um, so I used broadcast quality equipment. So when I went to revisit my archive in 2015, which is just a few years later, 
um, after having done about 100 interviews for the two editions of the book, I had a collection that could be used. It had been digitized by the New York Public Library by then. I donated my whole collection to them. So it was perfect for a podcast. How many hours exist in the archive? Um, about three, between 250 and 300 hours. Yeah, a lot. Unbelievable. And you said over 100 people. 102, to be exact. Now, because you started this, I'm sorry, I've got something in my throat. <clears throat> Not of anything fun <laughs> or uh, entertaining. <clears throat> this usually happens to me in the second hour. We do another hour before this. So, uh, um, so I'm a sloppy second. But you're not, of course. In the late 80s, when you started this, you interviewed a lot of people who were not long for this world. Let's put it that way. Either yeah, they, they were, because they were elderly or because they would perish because from AIDS. HIV yeah. AIDS, like, yeah. like the great Randy Schultz. Yeah. Were you aware, as you were conducting these, that this may be the final interview you, anyone gets with these folks? Yes and no. So there were people who were older and there were people who had AIDS. Um, I made a list. When I was figuring out who I wanted to interview... Um, when, it, when I was pretty clear on who I wanted to interview, I made sure to interview the oldest and the sickest first, hmm. knowing that they might not be around for long, and several died before the book was published. Um, some of them, though, I didn't know uh, had HIV. I didn't know Morty Manford, who co-founded PFLAG with his mom, that he had AIDS. Randy Schultz hadn't revealed yet that he was HIV positive. Um, Vito Russo died before the book was published. So, yes, and a, a Chuck Rowland, who was one of the founders of the Manishing Society, the first gay rights organization in the U.S., founded in 1950-51. Chuck had um, prostate cancer. He died um, a short time after I interviewed him, and I think my interview was only one of two ever recorded with him. So I knew that they had value, um, and as I started doing these interviews, I got more and more anxious that something might happen to me and I wouldn't finish the project. So every time I left to travel somewhere by plane, I would make a copy on disks. You know, we had floppy disks in those days or whatever disk I was using then. Make a copy um, and then uh, write up instructions and print them and put them in a FedEx package and FedEx them back to New York. I was living in San Francisco then to my editor with instructions on how to complete the project. You understood that this was precious cargo, that, that these were, you know, yeah. people's testimony of... History. Yeah, I felt such responsibility, and I feel even more now because almost everybody who I interviewed is dead. Let's talk about some of those folks. Your very first episode was uh, featured Sylvia Rivera. Sylvia is a complicated one. Yes. Yes. Who, with Marsha P. Johnson, uh, they were among the original Stonewall activists. Except that it turns out Sylvia was not at Stonewall. Tell us that. Tell well, us about that. Um, and Marsha P. Johnson wasn't there until 2 in the morning. And I know that because Marsha said to me, and I have it in, my, in the interview with Marsha, and I let Marsha speak for herself. She said, I didn't get in there, there until 2 in the morning. And by then, it was just about over. And Marsha also said that uh, Sylvia was, uh, was having cocktails um, uptown. And it was likely in Bryant Park. Um, and since, we've done, since we did our episode, um, and I didn't know all this then about Sylvia, um, several people have documented that Sylvia was li likely not there, which doesn't take away from what Sylvia did after or Marsha in terms of their trans rights work. Um, but um, it's a little humbling when you discover that people you've interviewed who tell stories perfectly because the story that Sylvia told about the first night of Stonewall lines up with what everyone else has said. Um, so it taught me a lesson about... Did she claim to be there? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. how do you know she wasn't? Uh, through David Carter's work, who did the book Stonewall, um, through Marsha B. Johnson herself, who was a witness, um, and others um, who said Sylvia was not there. And Marsha couldn't have thrown the first cocktail glass because my mother threw the first cocktail glass. What? Well, look, if, if people have made up all sorts of stories about Stonewall, <laughs> my mother's been Mrs. A lot Marcus of time, was instrumental. And she took me along. <laughs> I was in elementary school. It was a field trip. And we just happened to go by the Stonewall Inn. At, at, in That's the hilarious. Of the yeah. Not all of the people in your archive are queer. You did an episode no. featuring Pauline Phillips, better known as Abigail Van Buren, Dear Abby. Um, Why is she in there? She was an early ally, um, a very early ally. We oh things falling on us. <laughs> We're just being attacked by some... Uh, by, um, Thank you, Eric. Yes, yes. Glad to, to catch um, um, the, the panels. That the walls that are literally closing in on us. The walls that sound so good. So um, for someone of my generation and... Um, and, and even yours, even though you're much younger than I am. Dear Abby was the equivalent of 
Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres, when everyone loved Ellen. Um, and every... Uh, <laughs> sorry, Ellen. That's our shade, bell. And every influencer you can imagine rolled up into one. So millions of people read Dear Abby's advice column every day, including me, my mother, my grandmother. And beginning in the 1960s, Abby responded to letters from parents of gay people, from gay people, and she wrote very supportively of gay people. So she was probably the first national celebrity, and she was big. She was huge. She was on all the talk shows, and she was very funny. Um, so she started writing positively about gay people in a way that gay people couldn't write about themselves because nobody would listen to us if, at that time. So when I went to interview Abby at her house, her French Empire Whatever house in, in uh, chateau in, in Hollywood across from the the Beverly Hills actually which was in Beverly Hills across from the Beverly Hills Hotel, she greeted me at her front door, double height doors. She was wearing lavender hostess pajamas. <laughs> her hair was done, her makeup was done, and she was wearing pink fluffy slippers. Now Abby was one of the few people I interviewed who I agreed to let read my introduction and the uh, interview for the book because you know, she had a reputation she was concerned about. The only thing she made me change was she made me change the pink fluffy slippers. She made me delete it. Wow. Because the pink fluffy slippers did not match her, her um, lavender hostess pajamas. Now, many people may not know what hostess pajamas are, but they are pajama-like outfits, slacks and a blouse, that are like pajamas. And you, a, a, a woman, a stylish woman of her generation, might wear that if she was giving a cocktail party. I want some. Yeah, that, that it sounds just fabulous. great. And she was... She, couldn't have been more lovely and more supportive of my work. Um, Didn't she famously, when, when a reader wrote in and said, like, oh, a gay couple just moved this. in? Yes, let me tell, tell that story. story. Yes. She'd gotten a letter from a reader uh, who said uh, strange people had moved in next door. And it was very clear from what the person wrote that these people were gay. And, uh, and, when, and when Abby wrote her response, she, uh, they, they asked, and what can we do to improve the neighborhood? And Abby famously said, you could move. Shade. Yes, yes. Some of um, the best shade ever. It is. It's my favorite line. You mentioned Vito Russo earlier, and he yes. is a huge figure in terms of keeping and preserving gay history. For those people who don't know, explain what who Vito was and what he did. Almost nobody knows who Vito is anymore, but Vito wrote um, in a really important book that was published in 1981 that I found on an editor's shelf when I was a temp at... Harper and Rowe, now Harper Collins, on 53rd and 5th Avenue. It was a book called The Celluloid Closet. It was about how uh, Hollywood portrayed gay men and lesbians and how that por those portrayals um, affected how Americans saw gay people and not in a good From way. the very beginning of film, from, from the 1800s. Beginning. Yes, the very beginning of film. Um, and then he went on to co-found GLAAD, which was then called the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and also co-founder of ACT UP. So when I interviewed Vito, he was already quite ill. His partner had died three years prior. And in the uh, episode, we talked a lot about legacy, the things we leave behind. You know, one of the things he, was, he, he talked about was passing the ball from generation to generation. And I really felt, talking to him then, he was passing the ball to me. I was 30. Yes. Um, he, was in his, well, he was in his 40s. He died at 44. Mm. Um, but after the podcast episode was published, published, released, um, dropped, I had an email from a 15-year-old in um, a 15-year-old in uh, Russia, uh, a, a disabled lesbian named Nina, and she asked if she could translate Vito's interview and post it on her blog because she was so inspired by his story. And I think about Vito and what it would have meant to him to know that his story uh, that I recorded would be heard by a girl in Russia and then listened to by hundreds of people who don't speak English because they, they only speak Russian, and they could follow along because she translated this, uh, this interview. Amazing. Yeah. I encourage uh, listeners to, to listen to it. You've got two episodes featuring him, right? Uh, I think it was one, one, one episode featuring Vito. Just one. Yeah, yeah. So listen to, to Eric's uh, interview with Vito, but also watch the documentary, The Celluloid Closet, which came out in the early 90s, yes. narrated by Lily Tomlin and with all kinds of uh, queer celebrities. That's how I learned of Vito Russo. And I was a, a young, out gay man, and that just changed everything for me. There's also a documentary about Vito. Yes, I've Vito. seen that yes. too. Yeah. Incredible. I, I'm in it. But, oh, yes. congratulations. Who, of all the people that you interviewed for the archive, who surprised you the most? Well, I can tell you about 
one of the most surprising interviews was with Hal Call, who uh, led a coup against the Mattachine Society leadership in 1953. Wow. Um, what was so surprising to me was uh, how his focus was on sexual liberation. And the interview, I conducted the interview in his office above his porn theater called the Circle J <laughs> in San Francisco. I had never been in a porn theater before. Really? Oh, yeah. And when I went back the second time to interview him, he was sitting on his couch, his white Naugahyde couch with um, no pants on, just his underwear, black socks, black shoes, and a white shirt. He was in his 70s. A bottle of lube on the table and a towel. Oh, my God. And his video camera was pointed to the seat that I was about to sit in. Oh, my God. He had confused his calendar, and he thought I was there for a, a session to be recorded. He thought you were a hustler. Uh, no, he thought I was. A, I don't know what he thought I was, but I wasn't about to, to put on a show for him. Um, was he disappointed? No, we just went on with the interview, but he was there with his Did he his put underwear. pants on? No, no. <laughs> so he was a real sexual libertine. Totally, yes. And, and there was real conflict between the people who were politically oriented and the people who were uh, uh, like, like Hal Call. Um, Chuck Rowland and that still that exists today. Oh, that tension between like yeah. we have to be taken seriously, we have to get away from sex, and then yeah. the people saying, "Listen, this is about sex. This is about right. sexual freedom." And I'm one of those people who used to joke about taking. I was I took the sex out of homosexual um, <laughs> because in promoting my early work, I tried to talk about sex as little as possible because people right. get freaked out by it. Um, but there has always been tension and conflict. And it's often young people will say to me, well, why can't we get along in the movement now the way we did in the old days? No. Like, we never got along. Never. Never. Uh-uh. Why is teaching LGBTQ history so important, especially now in 2022? Well, I always say we can't know where we're going if we don't know where we've been. Um, uh, and there are so many inspiring people um, who we can learn from in terms of how they fought in times that were far more difficult than they are now. We don't have to invent the wheel. There are people like Barbara Giddings and Kayla Husen and Frank Kameny and, and on and on and on. People who just who use humor quite often to, make, to, to fight the good fight. Um, it also, well, let me give you an example. So in schools, they teach anti-bullying. Now, we know that kids should already know that you shouldn't bully. But, in but, some schools, we should say, yeah, they teach schools. anti-bullying. But, but it's like teaching breathing. You shouldn't know you shouldn't right. bully. But it turns out, anecdotally, we know this that by teaching the history of LGBTQ people as part of the American story, social studies in eighth grade, social studies in 11th grade, that, um, that you not only give a sense of pride to the young LGBTQ people, it diminishes the bullying of the straight kids against the gay kids. They right. say that we're, all, we're, not, we, we're not critters under a rock. We're part of American history. Right. And it seems to me right now that what's happening in public schools in, in red states across the country is they're trying to erase not only LGBTQ history, but the history of black people in this country, the history of slavery, the history yeah. of lynching. It, there, there's this really dangerous movement to erase anything that isn't, that doesn't support white straight supremacy. Well, and isn't pleasant. And, and isn't pleasant. Because shouldn't right. feel bad. But I was taught, I learned, uh, when I took social studies, I learned about how the West was won. And there wasn't any discussion of the fact that the West was occupied by people. Right. And that the people who were there were killed. Right. Do you know, I was just at the gym uh, working out and it, on one of those machines where you can, like, watch video of, mm -hmm. of you're on a trail out West or something. And there's little captions that tell you where you are. And one of them said, this was originally the home to Native Americans before colonial settlers moved in. <laughs> and I thought, God, settlers? Is that what we're calling them? That's what we're calling they them. Were yeah. set, they were genocide. They committed genocide. Eric, what's next for you other than the podcast? Is there another book in the works? I will never write another book, but I also pr I produce a second. I hate writing. Wow. Um, uh, it's just too hard. Um, uh, I do another podcast called Those Who Are There, Voices from the Holocaust. Um, yes. It is in partnership with the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies. And you can find it at thosewhowerethere.org or wherever you get your podcast. And then early next year, we're doing another season of the podcast on coming of age during the 1970s when I get to talk about coming of age during the 1970s and the movement in the 70s. Fabulous. And uh, everyone can listen to Making Gay History on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. Uh, and there's a new season coming up momentarily. October 27th, uh, six new uh, uh, episodes, including with a Congressman Robert Bauman, who is an anomaly in my book because he's the only bad guy I interviewed. He was a Republican, Catholic, um, and um, 
was caught in and out of limousines with call boys and you know, love those stories. Yes. Eric Marcus, thank you so much for being here. You are a delight. Steve had to run, but you can follow him on uh, Cub Mexi on Instagram. You can follow JB at Stocking Anarchy 12. Thank you for listening. We're back next week with the adorable Damon Jacobs, author, therapist, and advocate for prep. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at adamsank and on TikTok at adamsankofficial. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. Have a great week, bitches. Bye. Bye.